Yes, we all know that song by Motley Crue. But did you know that Dr. Feelgood was a real person? And he was giving countless vitamin shots to people like Marilyn Monroe, Eddie Fisher, Judy Garland, Mickey Mantle, and President John Kennedy. What were in those vitamin shots? Oh, you got to take a listen, friends, to our episode to find out. Dr. Feelgood, he's going to make you feel all right this week on This Was a Thing. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at a gentleman by the name of Max Jacobson, a name you probably don't know, but you should know the name. Dr. Feelgood. Oh. Oh, Now, this was a thing because if you ever sat in a dare class, wondered why meth became popular, heard the phrase war on drugs, or felt a sense of justice when an independent body punished a corrupt doctor, then you must acknowledge this is because of Dr. Feel good, Mr. Max Jacobson. Yes, Dr. Feelgood is not just a Motley Crue song, my friend. He was an all-too-real person, a German doctor who was so obsessed with being a celebrity that he threw out his Hippocratic Oath in favor of some 8x10s. And those 8x10s, oh, they looked like a who's who of 1960s fame. Here are just some of the patients of Dr. Feelgood. <clears throat> Truman Capote, Tennessee Williams, Alan J. Lerner, Anthony Quinn, Leonard Bernstein, Nelson Rockefeller, Senator Claude Pepper, Leontine Price, Maria Callas, Paul Robeson, Mabel Mercer, George S. Kaufman, Bob Fosse, Cecil B. DeMille, Otto Preminger, Rod Serling, Rosemary Clooney, Patty Chayefsky, Jose Ferrer, Marlena Dietrich, Elizabeth Taylor, Judy Garland, Ingrid Bergman, Hedy Lamar, Arlene Francis, she killed a person once, Marilyn Monroe, Mickey Mantle, oh, and just a married couple known as John and Jackie Kennedy. Yep, all of those people went to Dr. Feelgood for some of his special vitamin shots. What was in those vitamin shots, you ask? Don't worry. Just sit back and relax and let Dr. Feelgood make you feel good. That one senator, he was a real pepper. <laughs> I was like, what kind of name is Claude Pepper? Uh, yeah. Sounds like a made-up name, it doesn't it? Like, yeah. So let's look at the beginning of Miracle Max, because that was also one of his nicknames, and how he rose from poverty to become a nabler of the stars. So he was born in Poland. His dad was a butcher, which is going to be ironic in this situation. And while he was a little boy, he actually fell off of a fence and hurt his leg pretty bad. And when the doctor came to fix his leg, the doctor pulled up in a really fancy, expensive car. And Max Jacobson said, I want that car. I have to be a doctor to get that car. So with World War I raging, there was a lack of medical assistance in the hospital. So Jacobson was taken under the wing of a guy named Dr. Beer, who was not only experimental in medication, but also believed that the only way a doctor could understand what medicine did to a patient was to take it himself, regardless of whether or not he had the condition. Now, this is something Dr. Jacobson's going to really latch on to. He also met Carl Jung, 
um, whose form of analysis was subconscious, you know, the subconscious needs to be unlocked. Jacobson thought, is there a medicine that can be created that can heal the mind the same way we can heal like the physical parts of us? Young thought and he predicted that in a few years, people would take medicine to alter moods, not just for physical ailments. But what was that medicine, you ask? Well, Dr. Jacobson had a hunch and it was called methamphetamines <laughs> yes meth. oh he had a bunch of hunch so today we know meth as the star of everybody loves raymond no we today we know <laughs> meth is one of the, the most doris roberts doris roberts was actually meth personified <laughs> meth is one of the most dangerous meth is drugs. not a laughing matter ladies and it gentlemen, produces never. such symptoms as manic depression bipolar disorder hypersexuality paranoia and hypergrandiosity and the ability to stay awake for 72 hours and when you get off of meth you crash it's like a parachuter without a parachute it's a perfect storm now because it's one of the most addictive drugs and one of the easiest to obtain and for many years people actually thought it was a helpful drug most people i don't think even really knew about meth until dr feelgood's case in the 1970s so in 1919 japan began to use meth they were the ones that were creating it and by 1932 it could be used as an over-the-counter inhaler to, <laughs> I'm not, to help lessen pain from a wide variety of issues science bitch <laughs> including nerve pain and alcoholism they said we can cure you of alcoholism by just taking some meth. And it was like, yeah, because now I'm not going to drink. I'm going to be addicted to the meth. Yeah. People yeah. didn't seem to realize that. But could it help the mind and energize the brain? Well, only one way to find out. Test it on yourself. But add some special ingredients like liquidizing the meth and then adding both goat and sheep's blood for that extra pick-me-up. Soon, <laughs> Miracle Max concocted various forms to see if he could find the right one. It was always an animal blood serum mixed with liquid meth, which eventually would then be a <laughs> shot of meth, steroids, hormones, vitamins, and animal placenta. That was what he eventually started to use for his shots. Once, uh, once again, folks, I'm going to read that list to fucking you. Fucking New Age medicine freaks. <laughs> it was meth, steroids hormones, vitamins, and animal placenta. He tried it on himself, his patients, and even animals. People say that his office was legitimately something out of a horror film from the <laughs> 30s, and he was always wearing, I'm not joking, a blood-stained lab coat, blood-stained lab coat, dirty fingernails, and apparently was not the most cleanliest of men. Now, the patients who took the vitamin shots in Germany, most of them were MS patients, people that were had multiple sclerosis. They were in terrible pain, low spirits, but after they had one shot, they were up and around, and it looked like he was legitimately curing these people as long as they were getting shot up. Soon, word began to spread throughout Germany of Dr. Feelgood and his ability to like make diseases- Make you feel all right. Yeah, manageable. People who were literally on death's door before a shot were now running and jumping and dancing and having a great time. <laughs> and unlike other medications, Dr. Feelgood says, there's no side effects. <laughs> All the medicine that people have been taking before, there was always a side effect. He's like, now there's no side effect. You also have no sanity left. It's just insane. Oh, by the way, he never revealed to anybody what he put in the shots. And he didn't have anything ever written down. And he didn't even have like patient records. But who who really needs records? You know what I mean? No. Dr. Feelgood was like, I'll just give you all a small dose of my vitamin shot. Now, you might ask how much was a small dose? Well, 20 milligrams per dose, which is five times more than recommended for any sort of meth injection. And I will mention again, he would inject himself up to three to four times per day. So he was a meth addict. And <laughs> when you test on yourself... You really can't be unbiased 
They tell doctors, don't do that. And he was like, yeah, give it a try. Now, he would have stayed in Germany, being the toast of the town, because everyone was talking about him and his magical cures. But there was a problem. A Nazi was horny. Now, you might go, how the hell does this factor into the story? Not really. It's just kind of what I'm into. (laughs) No, a Nazi soldier was caught with the clap. He had the clap. And he couldn't go to a German doctor out of embarrassment. And so he decided to go to a lowly Jewish doctor instead. Oh, Jesus. And he told him that. Dr. Jacobson. Now, once Jacobson had fixed him, the soldier said, as, as a show of good faith, he said, you're very well known. You're a Jew. You're going to be killed. You're on the list. You need to escape. So he, Jacobson and his family, they moved to France. He became the go-to doctor for like all things needing to pick me up still, <laughs> never revealing what was in the shots. And by 1936, he decides to come to America, sets up shop on West 87th in New York City. Welcome to America, Dr. Jacobson. So world traveled fast of him being in America because the upper set of Americans had heard from their European friends oh, about boy. Dr. Feelgood and his ability to cure whatever ailed you. If you were an opera singer who couldn't sing, don't worry. He'd give you a shot. <laughs> you were an athlete who couldn't run? Don't worry. He'll give you a run shot. faster. A politician who felt exhausted by the end of his campaign? Don't worry. He gave you a shot. In 1946, he opened the Constructive Research Foundation, a research foundation that was specifically aimed at solving multiple sclerosis. Nope, just kidding. That's what it said, but it was really a way for him to buy inordinate amounts of meth and supplies without being questioned by anyone. Oh, my God. Also, at this time, no one was really going to question anything because the New York State Board of Education was the one who gave out doctor's licenses. And if there was a problem, it was solved by a board of regents, which is literally other doctors who are going to protect each other. So... There was never really anything getting done. It's kind of like a dog being judged by other dogs. <laughs> of course he tore up the sofa. You left. He's dismissed. <laughs> so there was no like independent body <laughs> or anyone to hold these doctors accountable. So let's talk about some of the patients that Dr. Feelgood dealt with and fucked up their lives, if not global history, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The big first client he had was Eddie Fisher. If you remember, Eddie Fisher was the one who left Debbie Reynolds for Elizabeth Taylor, dad of Carrie Fisher, and just an all-around asshole. Well, there might have been a reason for his behavior, and it might be because of Dr. Feelgood. So there was a guy named Milton Blackstone, and he pretty much built the Catskills empire with his client roster, if you're a Mrs. Maisel fan. And in the early 50s, Blackstone discovered the young Eddie Fisher, but noticed that Fisher didn't really have the stamina for a rigorous performance schedule. How are you going to fix that? Well, Blackstone called his good friend Max Jacobson to give Fisher shots of his concoction, and then Fisher could sing Oh My Papa for 24 hours a day without taking a break. So Fisher then soon became convinced that the only way he could perform was to have one of Jacobson's shots, and soon Jacobson was seen in the wings of just about every Eddie Fisher concert that he was doing. In fact, in Max Jacobson's office was a picture of him and Eddie Fisher with Eddie Fisher's autograph on it saying, he's still my God. Now, of course, his drug addiction is a huge part of why his career really petered out. Do you know the name Bob Cummings? No. Well, you will now. The name <laughs> Bob Cummings is not really remembered today, but had Dr. Feelgood not entered his life, we might still remember his name today. Bob Cummings was this incredibly charming TV actor, very funny, he had a nice career in movies and television. If you've ever seen Dial M for Murder, he's in that. And what he was known for 
off the screen was his dedication to healthy living. He exercised. He knew every vitamin, knew every ingredient, and made a case for keeping your body pure. And in 1954, that's going to change. He went to New York to do 12 Angry Men on television, and it was a live broadcast. And he was complaining to his friends, Jose Ferrar and Rosemary Clooney, that he was feeling a little exhausted. And they said, go see Dr. Feelgood. So they had also recommended Rod Serling to Dr. Feelgood. And you might go, how is Rod Serling so productive during the Twilight Zone period? It's because of Dr. Feelgood. So Cummings went over and he said, hey, listen, before you put this into my body, he goes, I know everything that goes into my body. What are you putting in it? And Feelgood said, oh, it's just vitamins, sheep sperm, and monkey gonads. He neglected to mention the massive amounts of meth, but Cummings was like, well, let's try it. Monkey gonads? Well, that seems okay. Yeah. Low calorie. A lot of potassium from the bananas. <laughs> and so Bob Cummings then began to take a shot every day. And this now caused a massive shift in his personality. <laughs> Soon he was irritable, paranoid, angry, violent, and abusive. Now, remember, Dr. Jacobson's in New York. Bob Cummings lives in Los Angeles, so he needed to keep his fix going. And because Jacobson would never reveal the exact ingredients... He would be injected by Jacobson's son, who was living in L.A. at the time. And then eventually Jacobson just sent him vials and needles to shoot up on his own. Oh, good. In 1964, Bob Cummings was starring on a TV show called My Living Doll with Julie Newmar, Catwoman. She said that he was scary as fuck. And he became incredibly paranoid that Newmar was trying to overshadow him. Paranoia. And so he went to CBS and said, you either get rid of her or you get rid of me. And CBS said, we're getting rid of you. And we're telling everyone that you're a fucking drug addict because of these shots you keep taking. So Cummings lost his career. His wife left him. And so to make money, he would travel around the country doing shitty dinner theater just to make enough money to spend on the vitamin shots. How much were the shots at the time? The price fluctuated based on the person's status. Got so it. a lot that of times, sense. a lot of the people he treated that were very powerful and rich, he never charged. He just wanted to say like... I'm your friend. Got it, got it. But Bob Cummings doing dinner theater is not going to get any breaks from Dr. Feelgood. No, no. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Unless he can show that he's equity. <laughs> uh, Stupid. <laughs> at, now, at the end of his life, this is so sad, Bob Cummings needed a caretaker. And who stepped in to help him? Matchmaker Uncle Milty. Milton Burrow. Really? He was like, Bob, you need a wife. And so Bob's like, where am I going to get a wife? I'm a drug addict. And he was literally living in poverty. So... Milton Burrow picked up a stack of Bob Cummings fan mail and said, we'll find a wife out of this. And they found a woman who wrote him a fan letter and said, do you want to marry Bob Cummings? And she said, yes. She was like a, a, a clerk at a Piggly Wiggly, like in Tennessee somewhere. But she ended up being abusive and Cummings died broke, destitute, and a drug addict to the end. He never stopped. Cecil B. DeMille, the director. He was directing the Ten Commandments in 1956. And if you've ever seen the Ten Commandments, I mean, it is epic. And DeMille was filming this big epic, incredibly exhausted, had a heart attack. So the studio was like, we'll replace you. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, he goes, I'm not going to get replaced. He, he, they're like, you need to rest or you're going to die. Nope. He's like, what do I do? Called up Max Jacobson. Max Jacobson flew over to him and he gave DeMille shots. And the next day he... <laughs> He was so energized. Remember, he just had a heart attack. Yeah. There was like a 30-foot director tower to watch the extras. And he literally climbed up at double the speed. With someone on his back. Yeah, with, someone with, the, with the equipment on his back. <laughs> and he never was sleeping. And 
Okay, so if you know the Ten Commandments, there's a scene where Charlton Heston is Moses, and he goes to Mount Sinai to get the commandments. DeMille went up to Jacobs and was like, this is a really important scene, so give Charlton a shot. So Charlton Heston got a shot of meth before that scene was filmed. Now, DeMille was so dependent on Jacobson, he demanded that the studio pay for Jacobson to accompany him everywhere, including all press tours, which included meeting the Queen, and the Pope. Now, you're a baseball fan, right? Uh, okay, yeah. Mickey Mantle? Yeah, I, yeah. Jacobson didn't only deal with performers, but he also dealt with athletes. And so if you're a baseball nut, Ray, you probably at least know about the race between Yankees, Roger Maris, and Mickey Mantle to beat Babe Ruth's single season home run record. Like the back of my hand. What was the record they had to beat? 72. 60. So one of them had to get to 61. Well, Mantle was feeling the pressure of this because all eyes were on who was going to get to 61 first. And so he befriended sportscaster Mel Allen, who was a patient of Dr. Feelgood's, and he said, I can help you. And he took him over to boost his energy, and that energy would get him to 61. Well, Feelgood ended up injecting Mickey Mantle in the bone. Oh, no. With a dirty needle. Oh, God. Which led to an infection, which led to Roger Maris breaking the babe's record. Marilyn Monroe. Now, it's clear Jacobson was addicted to celebrity, and he needed to be one of them to control them, to be someone important. Now, it goes all the way back to his poor childhood, his desire for that fancy car to overcome anti-Semitic sentiment. But if there was one thing that he wanted to control more than men in power, it was women. He loved controlling women. And the best example of this, of course, is Marilyn. Jacobson could sense that Marilyn was vulnerable when they first met. And I should probably explain now how he consulted with a patient. Before the patient spoke, he just looked them in the eye and talked to them about life, then shot them up. He would not do any sort of diagnosis. He was like, I can get it. It goes, just by looking into your eyes, I know what's wrong with you. You need some meth. You need meth. No records, no paper trail, just digging into his dirty bag with his dirty needles and questionable vials, and he would just shoot them up. But Monroe was special because so many people were trying to control her, and Jacobson had to win, so she had to be his. In the mid-50s, she was being controlled by teachers and directors and lovers, and she needed a sense of joy and focus. So her friend, Truman Capote, introduced her to the miracle worker, Max Jacobson, who not only frequently injected her, but sent her needles and vials to do it herself. But Monroe broke Dr. Feelgood's one cardinal rule. What do you think his cardinal rule is? She talked about him in the press no drinking while on the medication oh now if you want to see his work on marilyn monroe it's best seen at the infamous jfk birthday performance where she sings happy birthday because he shot up monroe before she went on stage wow but he didn't just shoot up monroe that night but also his star addict mrs dunn oh that was the code name for President John Kennedy. Mrs. Dunn. Mrs. Dunn. Yes, the 35th president of the United States was not only a patient of Dr. Feelgood, but he was also a severe drug addict, and many of the president's most major decisions were done under the influence of meth, all provided by Dr. Feelgood. And folks, if you don't believe <laughs> us, you can go to the White House records. You can see that Dr. Feelgood has 30, his name appears 30 times on the log entering the White House. So how did this drug pusher get into the good graces of the president of the United States? Well, like many things, it started with a covert phone call in the dead of night, 1960, from a man named Chuck Spaulding. Spaulding told Jacobson a high-profile client wanted to meet with him, but it had to be of the utmost secrecy. The client, of course, was JFK. Mrs. Dunn. Mrs. Dunn. But why would this young vigorous, athletic man need Dr. Feelgood? Didn't he save countless people on PT-109? Wasn't he always playing football and sailing? Well, 
Yes and no. You see, Kennedy loved athletics, except for the fact he was suffering from Addison's disease, back pain, migraines, gastrointestinal disorders, and all the side effects to control that medication. If he was not so hopped up on medication, he would have needed crutches to walk. Oh, wow. Right? When word began to leak out in the summer of 1960 that Kennedy was much sicker than people thought, his doctor sent out a fake letter saying, you're in fine shape, which was a lie. Does that sound familiar? I was going to say, Dr. Uh, what's his name? Ronnie. Yep. So Kennedy covertly went to Jacobson's 72nd Street office. And when Jacobson examined Kennedy, he was like, oh, this is stress related. And I can solve stress. He goes, it has nothing to do with like your physical pain. And he shot up John Kennedy in the office with meth. For the first time in like years, John Kennedy felt alive, invigorated. He was ready to go. I mean, like, wow. he, he could not believe it. It was life-changing. And as he was ready to go out, Jacobson said, don't forget, make sure to take a shot before your first debate with Nixon. That'll <laughs> calm you. So Kennedy, if we remember the infamous 1960 presidential debates was the first time these presidents were going to debate in a televised arena. Kennedy honestly was no match for Nixon because Nixon was a go-for-the-throat politician and was probably more effective than Kennedy. He was the vice president for eight years. Eisenhower kept getting sick. People saw that he could lead. So this was pretty much a lock for Nixon. Kennedy was charming, but how charming could he be in so much pain and on national TV and getting his ass kicked by Nixon? The anxiety was too much for Mr. Kennedy. He got sick. So sick he got laryngitis. So on the day of the debate, JFK visited Dr. Jacobson in a panic and Jacobson said, I've never done this before. <laughs> and he injected the needle right into Kennedy's voice box. Meth, right in the throat. And it worked. Kennedy kicked Nixon's ass and Kennedy was indebted to Jacobson. He even, invited, he even invited Jacobson to live in the White House to be closer to him. And Jacobson was like, no, I think I'm okay. There was Jacobson at the inauguration, major summit meetings everywhere, much to the chagrin of Kennedy's personal physician, who was like, I think he's giving the president drugs. And his brother, Robert Kennedy, who kept demanding to know, what are you injecting him with? <laughs> to which Jacobson said, I won't tell you, but I'll inject you so you understand. And Bobby Kennedy was like, uh-uh. These are some stories about Kennedy. I was like, oh my God. Kennedy faced two major tests when he first took office. There's going to be a whole reason for this. There was the failed Bay of Pigs attempt to topple Fidel Castro and something called the Vienna Summit. This is where Kennedy was going to meet the incredibly tough, smart, and calculating Nikita Khrushchev, the premier of the Soviet Union, who saw how much JFK fucked up the Bay of Pigs and was like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing and he's weak. So everyone thought, oh my God, if our president comes back looking trampled, it's pretty much over. Like Russia's won at this point. JFK was like, how can I show Khrushchev that I'm strong? So he said to Max Jacobson, pack your bags, Max. We're going to Vienna. <laughs> but before Jacobson left, his office was ransacked. Someone had broken in. Oh, wow. Who do they think broke in? They think it was the KGB who knew that Kennedy was now a patient of Jacobson. Got it. So that doesn't look good. Jacobson gave JFK a shot on the plane to France, a shot the next day in the hotel, a shot on the plane to Vienna, one right before Khrushchev showed up to the meeting. Then Khrushchev was late and Kennedy was like, I need another shot to keep the stamina going. Jacobson was like, I can't do that. And JFK was like, please. <laughs> he goes, okay. Then the meeting was going on for about five hours. JFK came out for a pee break and it's like, uh, he's really scaring me in there. I need another shot. And he's like, Mr. President, I can't. He goes, please. <laughs> and he gave him a third shot. 
Then Jackie JFK would do it. started to slur his speech. <laughs> and it was very clear from Khrushchev's point of view that like Kennedy was weak. And he said, listen, I'm giving you six months deadline to fix everything or we're going to war. <laughs> and so pretty soon the Berlin Wall went up. Pretty soon Russia placed missiles in Cuba because they were like, this guy's weak. Like we can do whatever the fuck we want. It was clear to Kennedy's medical team that JFK was addicted to Jacobson. That, and it was even clearer to his brother. Robert Kennedy, who finally was able to sneak a vial of Jacobson's and had it sent for analysis. <laughs> and the results were methamphetamines, vitamins, painkillers, steroids, and human placenta. So Bobby Kennedy went to John Kennedy and said, do you know what you're taking? And John Kennedy said to him, I don't care if it's horse piss, it works. Wow. One day, walking in the White <laughs> House, RFK, Robert Kennedy, saw Jacobson and had some heated words for him. A word, he called Jacobson a word. It starts with a K. And it's not nice for my Jewish people. Well, Jacobson was like, fuck this shit. He was like, I put up with enough like Nazis and anti-Semitic kids. I don't need this shit from anybody. He went back to New York. John Kennedy's secretary called and was like, uh, the president, Mrs. Dunn would like to schedule an appointment. He goes, no. Soon he got a phone call from John Kennedy personally and was like, I'm going to be in New York at the Cafe Carlisle. Can I meet you? I'm really sorry for my brother. So goes into the hotel room. JFK's like, please forgive my brother. I really need you. Max Jacobson said, fine, Mr. President, and I'll give you a shot. And because I, <laughs> because I haven't given you one in a while, <laughs> I'll give you a little bit extra. Oh God. So he shot him up with 30 milligrams of meth and he left the president of the cafe Carlisle in good spirits. The president was in such good spirits. In fact, that he wanted to party. So <laughs> he stripped off all of his clothes <laughs> and began manically running down the hallway of the suite, paranoid, and then doing gymnastics for the Secret Service. The Secret Service was like, what the fuck is going on? What do we do? And they finally found a doctor who was very like discreet, who came in and they were like, what's wrong with him? And he's like, he's tripping. So the doctor had to give him a shot of antipsychotic medication <laughs> to calm the president of the United States just down. Just picturing JFK like naked doing jumping jacks and just socks in like a hotel hallway. I look good, yeah. Back to school. Backpack. Lockers. Lockers to hide in. Speaking of school, what's the biggest lesson you ever learned? Hmm. To subscribe to Patreon to help keep this show on the air. I learned that in economics. Oh, I was sick that day. How do I subscribe? Well, to be one of the cool kids, become one of our Patreon supporters and help keep this show on the air. Head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for this was a thing and said a monthly donation even a dollar a month helps us your contributions help continue doing what we're doing good to know well i'm gonna subscribe then get a note to get out of pe rob i have moderate to severe plaque psoriasis oh now soon the higher ups began to wonder how to control john kennedy because not only was he proving to be weak with russia but the FBI and CIA were finding out that he would tell his mistresses government secrets. So now he had a loose mouth. Something had to be done. When Kennedy was assassinated in 1963, the problem was pretty much over. Now Jacobson lost his most powerful client and his most ardent protector. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the downfall 
of Dr. Feelgood, oh, Max God. Jacobson. So the first person to try to expose Jacobson was his own assistant, a guy named Harvey Mann. He was an actor who worked in the office. Not only did he realize that Jacobson got him addicted to meth, but he was disgusted by Jacobson selling a skin cream to people with skin cancer for $40 a jar. And all it was was random leftover stuff. But instead of going to the police, man just tried to blackmail Jacobson. But Jacobson was not rich at all and was like, I can't do anything for you. Like we said before, he didn't really charge a lot of the time. Yeah. It was mostly about, I get to status. say, status. In 1967, the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs began to look at Jacobson's supply orders. Remember, this was not being regulated. And when they looked, they found out that tons of amphetamines went missing. Where were they? Oh, he was giving them away to patients so they could self-medicate on the honor system. And he was obviously using more than what was normal in his doses. Two years later, they raided his office to see what the fuck was going on there, especially hygienically. Not only was it bad enough that his office got raided, do you remember Mark Shaw, the White House photographer? Yeah, yeah, Young man, he just dropped dead. So the coroner was like, who was his doctor? Max Jacobson. So he calls Max Jacobson, and he's like, do you know why your patient, this healthy young man, just dropped dead? And Jacobson said, oh, yeah, he had heart issues. So the guy does an autopsy. And he found no heart issues, but what he did find was tons of meth residue on Mark's organs. And Mark's wife was like, Jacobson killed my husband with drugs. He's a murderer. So why was he not arrested? It's all about who you know. He was very good friends with the New York Attorney General, and uh, that guy just sort of swept it under the rug. Kind of like the time when Max's wife, Nina, died mysteriously. They think he overdosed her. Not on purpose, obviously. I mean, I think one of the things also to just mention about him is I don't think this is being done in his mind maliciously. I don't think he's trying to kill people. Yeah. I think he feels that this is the way to solve everything. But I don't I don't think he's intentionally trying to harm people. He's methed out at the same time. He's also yeah. yes, he's also methed out. And because of Jacobson's inability to be accountable, remember he kept no records or written down the formulas or anything, the government began to regulate amphetamine purchases because of him. So he fought back and said, look, amphetamines are not addictive drugs. And while we remember the 70s today as a time of like drug experimentation, it was also when Nixon was launching his war on drugs and mm -hmm. someone needed to be like the figurehead, like the, the image of that. Maybe Dr. Feelgood was going to be famous after all. Oh. Let's open up those New York Times here, Ray. One day, Dr. Feelgood gets a call from the New York Times reporters, Boyce Resberger and Lawrence Altman, and they say they want to interview Jacobson for an article. Now, both of these men were very big journalists in the science and medical sections of the New York Times. Okay. okay? Jacobson was ecstatic and called all of his patients and said, hey, if the New York Times calls, feel free to talk to them. Oh, no. Because it's going to be a piece finally validating all of his great work. Well, December 4th, 1972, it's the front page of the New York Times <laughs> was Jacobson's picture and a headline saying, amphetamines used by physician to lift moods of famous patients. And the article is not too flattering. See, what happened was the New York Times was feeling pissed that the Washington Post scooped the Watergate story. So the Times was determined not to let that happen again. So when a rumor started that Vice President Spiro Agnew had been a patient of Dr. Feelgood, they were determined to expose it. And the first article will be introducing readers to Dr. Feelgood's questionable practices. Soon, it came out that Max was buying 30 pounds of meth a year. 30 pounds? Yep. And from 1964 to 66 and 1968 to 72, he bought 
463,719 needles and 236,646 syringes, which averages out to 1,920 shots per week. When he was raided, they found that the placenta he used was just laying in the fridge right next to bread and sandwiches. And the article also had lots of interviews with people who said he addicts you to drugs and that's how he keeps control of you. And he ruined my life. Now, the outcry on this was really large, and the attention went to the State Department of Education who gave out the medical licenses, and they were like, hey, listen, we never got any complaints about him, which we now know is BS because there were complaints registered by some people about him. And not only were now they on his ass and the Times was on his ass, it was also being covered on television by a local TV reporter who picked up the story and ran with it. His name, Geraldo Rivera. I was going to- Yep. Now, the first person to run to Jacobson's side, although she's not going to be there for long, was Jackie Kennedy, who told Jacobson in private, this will blow over and we'll pay for a lawyer for you. And, oh, you're not going to talk about me or Jack taking the drugs, are you? And he said, no. He's like, doctor-patient confidentiality. And she goes, oh, great. Thank you. She left. She never saw him again, never talked to him again, never paid for the lawyer. On May 30th, 1973... Jacobson was charged with 48 counts of unprofessional conduct and fraud, and in April of 1974, the state medical board accused him of incompetence and fraud and discovered that 90% of his patients were shooting themselves up without supervision. Oh, my God. And a year later, his license was revoked. It also came to light that Jacobson never wrote any AMA articles. He didn't belong to any medical societies. He didn't have any affiliation with any hospital. There was no regulation. So he had a license and was able to do whatever the hell he wanted. He kept saying that he was a scapegoat, but no one listened. And he spent his last few years in poverty, rejected by society he so badly wanted to be a part of. So badly, he even killed for it. That's the story of Dr. Max Jacobson. More on Dr. Feelgood after this. This was a thing, this was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Hello, my name is Dr. Max Jacobson, and I want to help relieve your pain. Real pain, phantom pain, no pain, John pain, I relieve it all. Other doctors might ask to see your medical history. Not me, because that's between you and a licensed medical professional, of which I am not. Other doctors might say you need not inject yourself with meth. Not me, because I think those doctors need to inject themselves with meth wash. Be you, am I right? Some doctors make you go to their office on 5th Avenue. Not me. My office is conveniently located underneath the Indian place that used to be a camera store on 42nd and 8th. Simply knock three times, say you are not a Russian, and come on in. Hell, if you're a Russian, come on in. Just don't look at my files, you pesky ruskies. And leave some hard candies for the others, you little red devils. Don't believe I get results? Let's talk to some of my cust- uh, cl- uh, patients. I can't say who they are, but I can give you a clue. This one plays baseball. <laughs> Thanks, Mickey Mantle. And for the ladies, too. <laughs> I can't say who she is, but her initials are Marilyn Monroe. 
Come on down to the Indian place that used to be a camera store and get some vitamin shots. I take cash, credit, check, use syringes, human placenta, EBT, slinky, and jujubes. That's Dr. Max Jacobson. When you think pain, think Max. Thank you. This was a sketch. Well, folks, that's the story of Dr. Max Jacobs and Dr. Feelgood. Because of him, I think, you know, the, the idea of what is meth first like came out onto the scene because people were discovering it through him, uh, for better or for worse. And because there was such a, a desire in the 1970s to stop drugs, he really did become like, this is, this is what drugs can do to you. This is the evil drugs can do to you. It's this guy. It can corrupt anybody. And now there's independent boards to supervise doctors who don't feel like so tied into the doctor, the doctor's life, so that way they can actually get rid of people. You more probably know the Motley Crue song, Dr. Feelgood. If you're a fan of the movie SOB, uh, starring Blake Edwards, it's the only movie where Julie Andrews shows her breasts. What? Yes. Robert Preston plays a parody of Dr. Feelgood. Now, unfortunately, the celebrity doctor whose own narcissism and quest for fame takes priority over their patient's health is not something that has gone away over time. In fact, if you have doctors like that today now, sometimes their nickname is Dr. Feelgood, but it's really referring back to Max Jacobson. I mean, we talked about it on the Mike Love episode, but it's like a psychiatrist like Eugene Landy who controlled Brian Wilson. Remember Conrad Murray, who was Michael Jackson's doctor? Dr. Raj and Charlie Sheen, Dr. Nick and Dr. Leon for Elvis. That I mean, all these, if you want to go talk about like law stuff, like Howard K. Stern and Anna Nicole Smith. But oh, yeah. But this idea of because you're a celebrity, you can get away with things. I mean, the fact that John Kennedy is saying to him, I want another shot. And as a doctor, he's saying, I know medically that I can kill you right now. But it's easier to keep that relationship because you're so starstruck by it, because you so want to be important and included. And he was pretty good. I mean, he never he never told anybody that he was JFK or Jackie's doctor, but he would hint at it all the time with people. So there's a lot of situations today, obviously, where we still have stuff like this. But because of Dr. Jacobson, I mean, it's so sad. I think like the people, the people who were able to get off of it, bless them. And everyone who got off it said it was like, rough to get off of but i mean i think of people like bob cummings and i think of people like mickey mantle which is just like they're trusting you you're supposed to trust your yeah, doctor it's so crazy and i because of him a lot of things have changed and so we're, we're lucky for that he played the game and he lost but speaking of games <laughs> oh my god you want to play one what a segue this was a thing and now it's a quiz This is a This Was a Quiz. With Mark Schroeder. Mark, before we began this episode, did you know anything about Dr. Feelgood? No, but get me his number. Mr. (laughs) Mr. Max Meth Jacobson. (laughs) I mean, hey, I would love to have that quick dial number. You know what I'm saying. Imagine if he had a pager, like if he was around at the time of pagers. Then he's really a dealer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just constantly, constantly going off. Beep, 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 beep. I envy, you know, the average Joe or Jane, like you or I, we don't have the luxury of access to a person like Max Jacobson we do not. to get no. us, you know, to nope. get 
told us what what Mama and Papa need. <laughs> you know that, folks? We do not have access. Don't to stop that. writing in. Stop and asking, asking us. please. Until recently, most of us probably had to score our drugs the old-fashioned way on the streets, right, Rob? That that's is how correct. You, that's how you did it. That you is knew correct. All the, the signals and codes. Dark web. Today, Rob and Ray, they're going to prove just how knowledgeable and experienced they are about the world of street drugs. Ray's going to win this one. A little game <laughs> okay. called. You got to tell me if you're a cop. Oh, great. Okay. I'm going to name 10 street names for well-known recreational drugs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rob and Ray, you guys are going to work together on this. You're going to tell me the proper name of the drug or as close as you can get. Okay. It. There's 10 drugs here. You can get at least seven right. I might overlook your little pill party you guys got going on here. Look, they're prescribed. Less than seven. You guys are going away for a long, long time. Boom, boom. Roofies. Rohypnol. A little too quick on that one. Okay. Whoa, one yeah. one okay. for one. Special K. Uh, ketamine. 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 Two for two. Smack. Heroin. Three for three. Whippets. Uh, 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 the things you huff, right? Uh, ready. Uh, uh, ready whip. Nitrous oxide. Nitrous oxide. Does that count? Did I, did that count as a huffer or no? That's not the pro. I need a proper oh, name sorry, for okay. what you know. What are the cops? Got to think. What's going to be on your autopsy when you yeah. die from doing no. too many whippets? Whippet whip good. It. He whipped it good. <laughs> too much. He was sugar. a huge Devo fan. Well, you're three for four. Here we go. We got six left. Pearl. Would that be cocaine? Or crack? Oh, no. Little balls. Little white balls of speed, right? Cocaine. Pearl is cocaine. I had it right the first Pearl. time. Also, speed would not count as a proper name for a drug. Just to let you know, that's Sorry. more of the street street name. But you are three for five. How about ice? Crack or meth? I want to say crack. It's meth. meth. I was going to say it's methamphetamine. Meth. Sleet. Sleet? Sleet. Why would you call something sleet, though? Icy chips, yeah. right? So what looks like crack? icy chips? Crack? Crack cocaine. Okay. Crack cocaine is sleet. How about if I wanted to score some cactus? Peyote? Peyote. Good job. Mm-hmm. How about Dimitri? That's the dealer. <laughs> That's the name of the guy selling you all these. That's the guy who's selling it all. <laughs> yeah. Dimitri? This is me giving a hint. Dimitri. The meat tree. Dimitri. DMT. DMT is What's the DMT, one. What's DMT, though? Uh, it's got a bad. long... Yeah, don't take it. Well, what, is, like, what does it do? I don't know what it does. We'll tell you after the show. <laughs> and your final one. LSD. Just what's LSD? What's the name LSD? Acid? You want the full name of it? I kind of want... The, I want the real deal, man. Oh, shit. Well, you don't have any of the L or the S or the D, but the acid is in there. I don't know why there's not an A. It should be L... S-A-D, if that gives you any hint, which it probably wouldn't. I'm going to give it to you because it's lysergic acid diethylamide, diethylamide. But you guys got six right out of ten. Hey, that's not bad, right? Not terrible, but... Hey, we're doing better because there would have been a time we would have had ten out of ten. And we could offer it to you right here. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, look, if you just reach out for support, we can help you get ten out of ten. But we, you need to ask for help. You need to be willing to accept help in order to get it. Nope. I used to have a drawer. What? (laughs) <laughs> with all these things in it, with all well, these drugs? Just in my underwear. Ray used to wear a raincoat. <laughs> oh. you know, pull it open. There'd be lots of drugs. What like, you want? What you want? And the watches. And no undies. And no undies, which was kind of disturbing for a lot of people. You got cactus with peyote. Yeah. I've never done peyote. I've never done peyote. I've never done peyote. If well, you've done peyote, why don't you <laughs> write it? Why don't you turn yourself in, you fucking druggie? <laughs> Ruining our goddamn country. All right, Ray. Tell them where they can find us. Go and find us uh, on Instagram.com or it's the app. Either one. This was the thing pod. Check out our website, thiswasathing.com, or on patreon.com slash thing. $5 a month, the old Lucy level, you can get exclusive content and tons of great stuff. Check it out, patreon.com. Anything else, Rob? No, that was great. We'll see you next time. Bye. What does DMC mean?
Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cut Cut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ThisWasAThingPod and Facebook we are ThisWasAThingPodcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 